I got a message this morning, and I've been on this um, theme for quite a while, I guess for a few weeks, and uh, I want to continue on this morning. I really believe the Lord is speaking to our church and speaking to us uh, individually uh, about, um, uh, uh, well, the title of my message this morning, I'll give you that first, the title of my message is uh, The Refusal to Be Intimidated. Now, that's not the title I wanted. The title I wanted was too long. I had to shorten it up so it fits on everything. You know, so, but, but the title that I wanted was this. Uh, we need to declare a refusal to be intimidated by that which appears impossible. Amen. So that's too long to fit. <laughs> so I shortened it up this morning, the refusal to be intimidated. How many know there's three tools that the enemy uses quite frequently? Uh, and is, and is basically this. It's intimidation, manipulation, and domination. Uh, first, he wants to intimidate you. Then he wants to manipulate you. Then the ultimate is that he wants to dominate you. But how many know we, we don't go by what the enemy wants to do or his desires towards us? We fulfill God's desires. Amen? But uh, those three things right there can earmark anything that's of witchcraft. Now, witchcraft doesn't necessarily mean the occult. Witchcraft means uh, you know, underlying uh, fleshy work of the devil in temptation, so on and so forth. Can also the Bible also descri- describes as witchcraft, uh, but uh, imitation, uh, uh, intimidation is one of them. I want to deal with that this morning because what happens is uh, uh, the thing that we see that as impossible. How many's ever had an impossible situation? Matter of fact, it just happened in the war room today. We're sitting in the war room with my leaders um, before we get ready for the service, and everybody wants to ask me. I guess it's because I'm old. But anyone ask me, what was it like when you first started the church in Key West 32 years ago, and uh, first started the Covenant Word Church? And what was it like? And and how did you know? I I don't know what the question was. The question was, how did you know it was God? How many would like to know, how do you know it's God? Well, let me throw another question. How do you know it's not? Let's start with what we know about God, and then let's compare it to what we do. Now, I know that's not, a, that's not much of a direction for you this morning, but basically we started getting into, into, into things. That, in asking the questions, I was thinking back 32 years ago and how, what we had to do and God required me to do. Uh, I had family. We had a house up in Deerfield Beach, Florida. Uh, that's about 250 miles away uh, from Key West. and had a house uh, block in from the beach and had different things, and I was working uh, very diligently hard, raising uh, two teenagers at the time. I was raising two teenagers, and uh, my son was just about to graduate. My daughter was still in high school, and we moved to Key West. Everything seemed to be impossible. Uh, if uh, every, uh, the, our impossibility to come, uh, a church that we were, you know, uh, call it Pentecostal, full gospel, charismatic, what do you want to say? This is the this type of church. Uh, non-denominational is what we described. That didn't describe a lot of the churches in Key West at the time. Matter of fact, I felt like the only one. And so it looked like it was impossible to do what we were doing with the type of church, or what, with the revelation that God had laid on our hearts to carry that out, to help people here in Key West. Everything looked impossible. And I was thinking about those things and different things like that. Well, evidently it wasn't impossible because basically here we are, <laughs> 32 years later, and thousands of people from around the world, because basically Key West is kind of an international uh, tourist attraction or whatever, people come from all over, would come into the church. We've actually ministered to, to
to thousands from around the world without even leaving Key West, not counting uh, the missionary trips and stuff that I've done over the years. But the fact is, is he just everything seemed to be impossible. Uh, I can relate to people when they come and they come to the pastor and say, you know, this, this just doesn't seem like it, it's going to happen. It doesn't seem like it, it's right. Lots of things seem. How many has ever had that in there where it seems to be? Did you notice that, that God doesn't worry about what seems to be? Uh, matter of fact, the thing that we see impossible has already been settled in heaven. How many believe that, 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 that we have a plan and purpose specifically designed by God for us, for each individual? How many, raise your hands if you believe that. Okay. So that's the, that's the talking point we're talking about, correct? It's not what you have done, it's what you have, or have you failed to do. It's not what we have, uh, that's impossible. Those are all the possibilities you have been working out for years. The things that you saw possible. But what about stretching out to the thing that's impossible? Because here's what I see. It says, it says the thing that we see is impossible is already settled in heaven. Uh, then joy and celebration would be appropriate, be appropriate response, wouldn't it? If we believe it's already been settled in heaven, wouldn't joy and, and, and celebration be a response? But that's not the response. A lot of times when young guys go into ministry or God gives them a call, they go to a mission field or whatever, it's not necessarily joy and celebration. Now, I remember years and years ago, I can still remember back, when I was sitting in a church and you know, I was serving in the church up in Deerfield Beach, my pastor, was sitting, came one Sunday night, I was sitting in the service, sitting in the back, and um, he came to the podium, he says, I gotta do this, he said, God just won't get off my case about this thing. He says, Kevin and Diane, come down to the front. This is what he said, and he said, and he said God says you're gonna preach the gospel. And I remember the response of myself. First of all, I was scared to my Argyle socks. <laughs> My mind began the race, what about now? My wife was sitting there, tears coming down her eyes. I wasn't sure if she was being blessed or being scared at the time but it, it, in doing this. But I remember all of a sudden when I got all that sorted out and the shock was removed, God had talked to me, spoke to me four years prior to that. And I was so intimidated I wouldn't do anything about it. I just sat there until my pastor, nobody knew this. I didn't even tell my wife. And, nobody, and my pastor called it out in a prophetic a word and gave it to me. I remember it was like a relief. This thing that I was struggling with that God had laid on my heart was finally released and now made public. Uh, and, and I remember the joy and celebration that comes, comes through. I want to give you a characteristic of God. Please don't misunderstand this by any means. We serve a loving, gracious God. But understand He also has a plan and purpose for your life. He's not expecting you to drift through life, uh, just whatever, just drift through and hoping someday you'll die and then go to heaven. That's not what uh, the purpose that we're here for. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, everyone that's here, I, I can speak to everyone. Everyone is watching me by live stream. Everyone has already been called to invade this realm called impossibility. You've already been called to it. Everything that God has shown you so far seems right now to be impossible. Do not dismiss the impossible, especially when you're talking about what God is doing and what He wants to open up. I, I don't even have the time. 
I, I could probably fill volumes if I went line by line over the past 32 years, just in Key West, not counting Boynton Beach or any other places, not counting uh, what he's done in Africa, not counting what he's done in Central, just here, Key West. I could fill, fill the volumes of stories that God that looked impossible to me, but God made very possible. But be, he's looking for a yielded vessel that he can do the miracle in. But everyone here has already been called to the realm called impossibility, or to invade that realm of impossibility. It's a realm we don't like to touch a lot of times. Now God has designed it that way to reveal his will and demonstrate who he is. See, the purpose is God has already designed it that what he puts in front of you that's him is going to seem at the time impossible. Now, I can look back and tell you stories and everybody got all excited in the war room and wow, what God had done this and this miracle happened here and how God opened this door here. Looking back, we get excited. Looking at the time when we don't know what's going to happen seems a little more apprehensive. Uh, and really what it takes is what God has called us and the Bible calls it both a gift and a work of the Spirit, but he calls it faith. Okay? It really takes faith. And so praise the Lord. So uh, uh, this, is, this is what God has, has poured out for us. Anyway, so, so I want to, to share, and this is where I'm kind of going this morning with this thing. How many has ever felt overwhelmed by problems? I know I, I have come and things impossible or whatever uh, uh, seem to be overwhelming sometimes. It's almost like you want to short circuit. It's just overwhelming. Every time that happens, the Lord showed me something years ago. Whenever that happens, when I feel overwhelmed by a problem, it's because I have lost sight of his presence. Amen. Now, I, I pulled this off the shelf and begin to, to re-energize this, this idea about awakening to his presence. Jesus made the promise. I used to open almost every service with this scripture. said, with two or three are gathered in his name, his spirit is in the midst of those that gather. So if all we need is two or three, reduces the entire uh, kingdom of God, entire government of God, right down to two, two or three people. So if I can get two or three people at any given morning, any given service, two or three people to really gather for his name's sake, not because I need something, not because I feel it's a religious call, not because anything else, just, but because I just want to come. This is a, I, want to, I want to be able to worship God. I want to be able to uh, come in the presence of Jesus. He says, I'll be there. I will show up. It's a promise. So, the, the, but the, so what happens? Okay, well, Jesus, is Jesus here this morning? Well, you, some of you may have to stop and think, well, is he? I mean, am I supposed to feel something? Is it supposed to be some kind of odor? Is it supposed to be a sweet smelling thing or whatever, incense burning? Or do I hear angels singing in the background? What is it like when Jesus shows up? That thought process right there begins to awaken our awareness. And when we begin to think about these things, what would it be like if Jesus was standing right here? What would I say to him? How would I act? Would I stand? Would I bow? Would I, would I rejoice? Would I praise? Would I, what would I do? In sorting out those scenarios within your brain, uh, in my brain too, for that matter, sorting that thing, those things out in our mind gives us a clue and f a fix on the awareness of Christ. And that's what God is looking for, have an awareness of him. Now it's no longer about trying to make brownie points to go to heaven. There's no such thing anyway. Uh, try to, uh, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, so I should go to church. So what? Lots call themselves Christian, never darken the door of a church. Amen? But what it matters is when you come to church to have an awareness of God. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Well, this is a longer introduction than I planned this morning, so I better get going on my message this morning. But I do want to uh, tackle some things. A couple of places in the Bible, this statement is made. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. What was he talking about? Well, put it back into the context, he was talking about the rich young ruler. How many remember the rich young ruler came up to him? He was searching for salvation, correct? The rich young ruler needed to be saved. He comes up, he masters it, what must I do to be saved? Jesus all of a sudden approaches it from a, 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 a viewpoint of his faith and his beliefs. In other words, what he was doing. He says, well, he said, you know, obey the commandments, blah, blah, I do this, do this. He said, I've done that, and I've done all those things since my youth. If he had done those things from his youth, shouldn't that be the deciding factor then? Because even in Judaism, it would have told him this is pleasing to God, and when we do is pleasing to God, uh, God, will, uh, God will save us. Isn't that what's taught? So, but he said he did these things, but he was still dissatisfied. How many has ever done religious things and religious acts, but still remain some kind of hollow, empty, and satisfied? Well, I've done the Word. I've done this. I believe that I've done all this. I've heard this preaching. I've heard that preaching. And you've done all these things, but still, where would salvation really lie? This was this man's question. And Jesus said, well, it's simple then. There's only one thing left for you to do. Sell all what you have. Give it to the poor. In other words, get your focus off of you and focus on somebody else who has needs that you can have power over. I mean, when God gives us wealth, he gives us power to be able to take people who are in poverty and lift them out with the wealth that he's given us to help other people. So he was saying, first of all, exercise the power God has given you. Then come follow me. He says, and you'll have abundance in heaven Treasures in heaven you can't even think about by giving all this stuff. And what is he thinking about? Well, i got to die to get there. I have to die to get to that riches. Is that what Jesus said? No, he didn't. See, it seemed impossible to have to give up all his riches to the poor, follow Jesus where he didn't know where he was going anyway, to get heavenly riches. Well, what's that? what does that mean? What's heavenly riches? Do you understand that every time that you're blessed by the Lord, whether financially, physically, or whatever, it is a gift from heaven, and it has already been settled in heaven that you're to, to receive this? All we have to do is line ourselves up to what's already been given by God. This is all Jesus was saying. Come follow me. He says, your riches and all the things that you trust in doesn't seem to be doing it, but yet the things that God is telling you, you're coming to me, I'm not going to you. You're coming to me and asking me. What about salvation? And he's saying, hmm, I don't know if I could do that. And he hung his head and he walked away. He walked away without the very thing that he was asking for that God clearly, clearly answered for him. Why? But because it seemed impossible for him to give. And of course, he said, well, this is a man, great wealth. And of course, he, Jesus then speaks to his disciples. It's, it's hard for a rich man uh, to, to, go, to, to give up everything he has, like it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, for the camel to fit, you've got to make it smaller. <laughs> I'll say it again. For the camel to fit through the, eye of the you know, proverbial eye of a needle that Jesus was talking about, you've got to make the camel smaller. Jesus was trying to do, he says, he says I've got to make you smaller 
so God can become bigger. Your problem isn't that you have too much. The problem is, is that too much has become uh, too big to fit in the kingdom. And it isn't about how much wealth you have. Does anybody know uh, uh, what is too much wealth? Does anybody have a dollar figure for what's too, what's too much wealth? I will tell you what's too much wealth. I have, a, I have a biblical answer for what is too much wealth. How many want to hear? I'll save it for next week. No, too much wealth is simple. Too much wealth is however much money it takes to keep you from God. Now, I threw that in at no extra charge. That wasn't part of my message, but I just threw that in anyway because that's what this guy's problem was. This is impossible for man, but not impossible for God. What the man thought, he was giving up something that God wanted to multiply even more. But because he couldn't give up what he had in his hand, he couldn't receive what God had for him in his hand. And he walked away and he hung his head. So there's one there's an impossibility. Probably the most famous, and this is the sad bar. This is this is going to be a Christmas type scripture. How many know what Christmas scriptures are? Those are scriptures we pull out, blow the dust off, and we read them Christmas time. You know what I'm talking about. And then we make up little figurines and manger scenes and stuff to, 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 to tell the stories. And then what happens, the day after Christmas, we close that book and we go on with something else that we preach. I, I really don't care for that because basically there's a, there's, there's a truth in these Christmas stories. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do a Christmas story this morning, uh, but I'm going to share one thing about. How many remember Luke chapter 1 when the angel came and appeared to Mary? There is so much revelation in this particular encounter that we can't even begin to unravel it in one, one sitting, aside from Christmas. But because we've kind of shoved it off as a Christmas scripture, we, um, we, we, we kind of leave it there and, and don't research it any further. But can I, can, I, can I do this this morning? It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for, for, for with God, nothing will be impossible. What was, it, how, what was the background of it? Angel Gabriel had come to, to Mary and says, you're going to bear a son. Now, what did I say at the beginning? I says, this is already settled in heaven. There's not a question. Mary gave birth to Jesus. But if Mary had refused to give birth to Jesus, God would find somebody else who would birth. It was a gimme. It was going to happen no matter what. But Mary gets involved in it, and when she, when she agreed to it, the angel said, you are blessed amongst women. You are, you are uh, heavenly blessed. Heavenly blessed. Did you ever think about what Mary had to go through? She was betrothed to Joseph. That means right off the bat, this blessing that God was giving her, this thing that was supposed to be impossible for man, but very possible for God. Okay, this thing that she was about to carry was going to cause her nothing but trouble. You think you have problems with your kids? She is there. She is now pregnant, being betrothed. In other words, she was promised to marry to Joseph, and now she turns up pregnant. So she has to answer the pregnancy thing to Joseph. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to say, I don't want to marry you. I mean, you've obviously been with another man, uh, which she, she hadn't. It was the Holy Spirit. But who's gonna, who believes that? How does she make that story stick? How do I explain this? 
Uh, God needs some help down here. Now, this was, this was the, the woman that is blessed, okay? <laughs> blessed amongst women. You're blessed amongst everybody else. Because what happens is we still have to deal with the here and now and the physical that we have to deal with. As you said, with man, this is impossible. Yeah, it's impossible to explain, too. Not only that, the same baby that she would give birth to, King Herod wanted to murder and was willing to go through his entire countryside until he found that one child, male child, that he would have killed. So the blessing of the Lord caused her and, her, and Joseph to pick up and move to, to uh, clear out of the country until Herod finally died where they could go back and raise their son in the, in the hometown where they come from, which is Nazareth. You're highly blessed amongst women. Why? One impossibility after another impossibility after another impossibility only because we only look at it from the scope that we have instead of trusting God. Listen, Joseph, I know this looks bad, but God will explain it to you. Is that what happened? Okay, an angel uh, visitation convinced Joseph that there's nothing wrong here. Go ahead and marry Mary. She's fine. And she bore other children besides Jesus, by the way. But only one, okay, was, be, was, was caused by the Holy Spirit himself. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll bear a son and you'll name his name Jesus and he'll become, and he's the Messiah. Do you know when that promise was given? I have to go all the way back to Abraham. Remember when God says, sacrifice your son to me, which was a strange request for a God in heaven anyway. And Abraham, for three days' journey, three days' journey, he packed the wood on Isaac's back and he went up to a place, and the place was called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was a place that he set up an altar ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. Mount Moriah was in the uh, mountain range or the, around the town called Salem. We know it today as Jerusalem. Because the Jebusites owned it at the time, even at the time of Joshua, the Jebusites were still there up until the time of David. David went in and made that, that city the center of Israel, uh, as an Israeli capital. Why? Because David, would, he didn't know it then, but David would become the lineage of Jesus. Remember when David wanted to build a temple and he had to hang his head because God said, no, you're not going to build me a temple. I'm not, I'm not going to live in a house. He said, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going to bless your household because you had this desire towards me. I'm going to bless your entire household. David just went to part. 2 Samuel chapter 7, he just went to pieces. This, this is too great. Lord, you were, I, I want to build a house for you. Instead, you turn around and you want to bless my house for generations. Jesus Christ was born from the seed of David. That's where Mary uh, comes all for the lineage and is in the lineage of Jesus. Made him the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Hallelujah. Let me see, take this, Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 37. This is what the angel told Mary. For with God, nothing is will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. In the Greek, that's actually two words. The word nothing is actually two words. And what it means, it means no, and it means the word rhema. Now, the word rhema we get from, we, we know as a spoken word of God. If we, the Greek word logos, this would be the logos or the written word of God, but the word rhema is the spoken word of God, correct? So what God, what the angel is saying within, the, this, within this framework of this statement, 
we, we got we to understand what the, some of this stuff means. Uh, you can go back to your uh, Strong's Concordance and you can see it where it's actually two words. No rhema. Or no freshly spoken or no spoken word of God will be impossible. The word impossible means without ability. Can I put this together? This is God's work. I put this together for you. Let me put this together. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. Amen. I'm going to say that again. This is what the angel was saying. Okay? No freshly spoken word of God. This is a freshly spoken word. I'm the messenger. I just delivered it to you, Mary. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. So when God gives you a word that seems so mind-boggling and so confusing, what am I supposed to do? Do I quit my job? Do I do this? We're looking for the to-do list to do in the midst of this thing. But the word itself, in spoken to you, has within its own framework the ability to perform itself. When God spoke to me so many years ago to come to Key West and pioneer this work and start the church and, 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 and do it, I don't know how this is going to be possible. I, I didn't have enough money. We didn't have two nickels rubbed together. We had no money. There's no financial backing for this thing. Talk about impossible. I had to borrow money from my parents to rent a U-Haul to bring all my junk down here from, from uh, Deerfield Beach where I live. I got a tenant to rent my house out. I thought that was going to be a problem, and, and, and it, but it wasn't. It was actually it was fairly easy. Uh, I guess God had something to do with that. The word of God that was spoken in my heart was performing itself. And I didn't know how, I didn't know where, I didn't know what happened, but it was performing itself as I was stepping out. May I put that? Because a lot of good words of God, a lot of good prophecy has died on the vine because we failed to step out. And then I, I thought, well, surely if I'm the man of God and surely if I'm anointed, I will be welcome in Key West with open arms. <laughs> Hallelujah. That still hasn't come to pass <laughs> in a lot of places. But in some places, I look back over the years, thousands and thousands of people that have come through our, just our church here in Key West, not counting my mission trips, not counting all, have gotten blessed in this church and have received something from this church because it's a very transient town. People come and go. Churches empty and, uh, fill up and empty. And this is the thing that, that drives a lot of pastors crazy. But you've got to know you're cold. A guy, a pastor came to me one time. He says, how do you do it down here? Down here meaning Key West. I said, what do you mean? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I says, God said, go. I went. God said, do this. I did that. And voila, what you see today is a result. He says, I, I don't. I said, I guess the thing we can take away from this conversation is you've got to know you're cold. You got to know you're called. The word itself, concentrate on the word because basically what we're looking for, what God is looking for, to turn that impossible situation into, of your life around. Do you want the key to this? Here's the key to the whole thing. The key is going to be coming, uh, it, it comes to a place of absolute surrender. When we come to a place of absolute, absolute yeah. surrender is where God meets us. And the things that now seem impossible become possible. Now, here's the thing you got to sort about sort around your own oh mind. Do I want it? Do I really want it? Or do I just want a God that comes and visits me when I have a problem and takes away my problem? I don't know. Are you a parent? What if your kids only come to you when they want something? 
What kind of relationship do you have with your children when they just want something? I mean, I, I'm not talking about when they're, when they're babies and they're needy. We understand that. We understand that in the church. People don't know any better. But when they start to grow up and, they, you know, and they're 20, 30 years old, and they still only come around when they want something, maybe in, we could get a glimpse, not, not the same thing exactly, but maybe it's a glimpse of what the Heavenly Father sees in some people. They're only asking me because they don't know what else to do. But I've already built within them an idea to conquer this realm, to invade this realm of impossibility in their life, but they're going to have to trust me to do it. Amen? So it comes to that place, I guess, of, of awareness. Amen? Self-confidence. How many has ever had... Well, all you need is some self-confidence. Oh, do I, dare, do I dare step on this turf here? Self-confidence. Self-confidence is no greater than self and is a poor substitute for faith. Real faith is as great as God and has its foundation in its nature and person. So where you're trying to get up self-confidence, God is saying, nah, try to get up some faith to trust me and believe in me. How are we doing so far? Are we okay? Well, if you think, well, man, if I do this, everything is going to go my way. Well, not exactly. Jesus preached a sermon one time in Nazareth. It didn't go so good. Now, in the, you can Google this if you want to. Uh, some people call this his first sermon. I see a discrepancy between this. Is actually, it could have been Matthew could have said the same thing. No, I wrote about his first sermon. No, he wrote, no, it was in Nazareth. No, it wasn't. It was in Mount of Beatitudes because basically, when he sat down and gave this sermon on the Mount, uh, that was also Matthew chapter five. And of course, Luke isn't it? Anyway, some people call this his first sermon. Jesus goes back to his hometown. He came out of the wilderness from being tempted to the devil. He ministered on his way out. Now. Uh, he's going, Nazareth is a long way from the Judean wilderness. Okay, so he came, made the journey back, and as he's only stopping from town to town. So he's already had, his name became famous. He goes to Nazareth where his hometown was, and he goes into Nazareth, and he sits down, and he goes ready to, in, in that day, the preacher doesn't stand like I'm standing. Uh, the congregation stood, the preacher set, if we call a preacher, but a rabbi or whatever, whoever was getting where, is the one who set. So Jesus would sit down and provide him a chair. They give him the book. He opened the book. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that were oppressed. And he closed the book and handed it back to the tenant that scripture that he read was Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 and it was the very scripture that was written about Jesus. It was written about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him because he anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. And he will Sent, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind and to set a liberty. I could take this and break this down. Set of liberty, those that are oppressed, break this down, and we, we could have another whole sermon here. But let me get, get to the human response to this thing. Luke chapter 4, verse 22, I'll jump ahead in the story. It says, all bore witness to him. That's a good thing. And marveled, they admired, at a, the gracious words which proceeded out of Jesus' mouth. So it says, they said, this is great. With such 
poise, such wisdom, such grace. He delivers this word as that it was written just for him. And it was. My, my take on the thing. All of a sudden, somebody in the back, maybe some wise guy, but somebody took that great feeling of graciousness and admiration for Jesus himself, ready to say, yes, the Messiah will come. Yes, he'll lift our burdens. And Jesus is saying, close the book. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Such gracious words. Absolutely. I'm ready for this. Boy, I've had enough, and enough is enough. I'm ready for the Messiah to come and set me free. How many of you ever felt like that? Then all of a sudden, some wise guy pipes up and they say, said, is this not Joseph's son? Now the story goes downhill from there. Jesus had the anointing of God, the blessing of God, had the words of God. Oh, how many preachers we know had that, did that before? Only to be cooked by their congregation. Oh, wait a minute. Now, this is just Pastor so and so. This is just good old Kevin Kerr. This is just, a, he's not a messenger of God. He's just Kevin Kerr. Ah, you know, I knew him with a snot nosed kid. Kind of like what they were doing to Jesus. They were saying, oh, yeah, really? This is Joseph's son. You know who Joseph is. Joseph's a carpenter. Right here in Nazareth, we know him. We saw this, we saw this snot nosed kid growing up. My words at the Bible were, sorry, Jesus. <laughs> but the fact is, is that, no. At that phrase, it went on a downward spiral right there. What happened? What happened to the gracious and the admiration for Christ? How come the same moment it, on a decline? Because right, I used to preach on it called the sin of familiarity. Basically, they got familiar with Jesus and his humanity, and they couldn't see past his humanity to see the deity of Christ and receive it as a word of God. And we do the same thing today. Amen? Matter of fact, after they, they wanted to throw him off a cliff, I was, in that, I was on that spot in Nazareth a few years back. Uh, I was visiting Nazareth. Um, I don't know what it was like in Jesus' time, but it wasn't a highlight of my trip at all. <laughs> and I've been from, from a lot, so the most city of Jerusalem, all the way to the Syrian border in Israel. And probably Nazareth was probably the least favorite of, of the places to visit. Not because of the, the history of Jesus. I love that part of it. But, but Nazareth is kind of, I guess, like it was back in Jesus' time. And, uh, but the fact is, 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 is you know, Jesus had every desire, every attempt to go and do something of miracles and to heal the sick. Because Mark picks up the story, and what Mark says in ch chapter 6, he says, And now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled, talking about Jesus, stepped back and marveled because of their unbelief. I don't know about you, if God's going to marvel over me, I don't want him marveling at my unbelief. So bring, me, bring on the impossible, I'll tackle it. Amen? I, but this is what, what this sounded to them, okay, this is the Messiah. He's not the Messiah, he can't be the Messiah because he's a carpenter's son. He can't, he can't be a carpenter's son, we know him, I mean, we grew up in, he can't be him. Why not? If they read the books of the Torah that, that or the books of the prophet that said what Jesus was going to be like. Jesus fulfilled every one. 
So what were they looking for besides Jesus? You see, there was an expectation. I don't know if it was in that or not, but there was an expectation that Jesus was going to overrule the Roman Empire and set them all free as a nation. Jesus wasn't there to set them free from the Roman Empire. He was there to change history and change the world forever. Not just their measly little generation, but future generations beyond. He was there to fulfill the Father's will. And that's what makes this great because he, Jesus was the expression of the heart of the Father. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Father's Spirit is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To send them, to, to, to send, uh, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Heal people. Remove their, their, their problems and their afflictions. He sent me here as an answer. Matter of fact, if you read in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I like that scripture. It's 1038. Uh, uh, but but um, reminds me of a joke. Um, woman came home from church one day and, and a, in the midst of a burglar in her house, catching her in her house. Old joke. You probably heard it before. But anyway, I'll say it anyway. And, uh, and she yelled at the burglar. And she just came from church. She had a Bible in her hand. And she says, Acts 238. And all of a sudden the guy froze. She called the police. The police come over and apprehended the guy. And said, why did you freeze as she just shouted a Bible scripture at, at, at you? She said, a Bible scripture? She said, I heard she had an axe in 238. <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. Anyway. Old joke. Older than me. That's <laughs> old. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> but, so it says this. It said, Acts 2.38. i got to read the scripture now. Actually, it says, how, Jesus of Naz- Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all, all, all that were oppressed of the devil. God's goodness is all being oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God was with Jesus. God was with him. He was with him in Nazareth when they were going to throw him off a cliff. He was with him. They weren't rejecting Jesus. They were rejecting God's answer. Are you here? Praise the Lord. Amen. I started looking through the scriptures. I'm going to try to get this through the time I've got left. I found, I picked out three cases. There's more, but I picked out three cases. How do you remember, how many times do you, uh, let me remember going back to, in the book of Matthew chapter 8, when a centurion, I'll have to brief this to get, there's three I want to mention before I run out of time. Let me go ahead and brief this for you. I remember the time that Jesus came to, well, he came to Capernaum, and there was a centurion there. A centurion is a Roman soldier who has a command of at least 100 men. Some had a little more than 100 men, but the word centurion means 100, so he has a command of 100 men. He's a commander. He's a very, and centurions in the Roman Empire, in the Roman army, were wealthy people, obviously because he had a servant. Uh, servants were bought and sold. People were bought and sold as servants. Sometimes a falling enemy would become a servant to whatever. The soldier, the, the, the centurion comes to Jesus in Matthew 8, and he says, when he entered Capernaum, and he pleaded with him. Now that's something right there. A Roman centurion pleading with a Jew. That's uh, something else right there. There's some, that just has to catch Jesus' attention. And he says, please, he says, he says, I have a servant laying at home. Lord, my servant lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus says to him, I will come. I'll come and heal him. The centurion answers and said, you know the story. The centurion answers and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only speak your word and my servant will be healed. 
And he began to go through. He says, I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. I go, and he goes. And another, I say, come, and he comes. And my servant, uh, my, and, and, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, verse 10, mark this verse, because when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Here's that word again, marveled. Now, so you're not marveling at the guy's unbelief. He's marveling now. He's admiring. Jesus is admiring. What kind of faith do we have to have that Jesus admires? I got a little confused about this thing, looking over different stuff, but he's sitting marveling. Surely I say to you, I have not, then Jesus says, surely I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Huh? In other words, the faith of the centurion saying, wait, 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 let's back up. The centurion, this is the same centurion, this is the same soldier, Roman soldier. Jesus was not able to come under his roof because his house was sinful. Did you catch that part? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. His house is sinful. We, all, we know from Roman history what a sinful Roman house looks like. Similar what it looks like. There's all kinds of debauchery going on. There's slavery, there's, there, there's sexual perversions, there's everything in his house. Hmm. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. I'll pause for a second. He marveled at this man's faith with the dirty dealings in his house, but he marveled at his faith. Anybody from a religious church? What would a preacher do if a man like that came up to him and he knew his household was a mess? Yeah, you want healing from God? Go back and clean up your mess first and then come back and ask me. Let's get clean on the outside before we get clean on the inside. Jesus doesn't do that at all. Matter of fact, this guy is just, this guy, what? Jesus, did you even hear this guy? His house wasn't fit for you to come into. In other words, we can't even invite the Lord into this mess because it's so much of a debauchery. It's such carnality going on. We don't. Even, but I, I need you to heal my servant. Well, I need you to heal my servant. Well, I bought this guy, and he, he's worth a lot of money, and I need him to do some stuff, and I, I don't want to do it myself, so can you heal this guy? Put it any way you want to. Here is a centurion, Roman, with a dirty house, coming to the Jesus and say, please heal Speak the word only, but Jesus marvels. Jesus wasn't marveling at his dirty house like we would do. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't marveling at the fact that he was a Roman and yielded himself to a Jew. He wasn't looking at that either. What was he marveling at? <clears throat> the marveling thing was that he understood how the kingdom of God operates. <clears throat> that Jesus could speak a word and his servant off in another place could be healed. But the man had to come to Jesus with the faith, and that faith carried back to somebody who wasn't even on sight. That wasn't the first time that happened. But do we see it in the scriptures? John chapter 4, verse 49 and 50. The nobleman said to him, a nobleman came to Jesus and said, heal my son, my son is home dying. Come quick, come quick. Now he's invited in his house. He's a nobleman. He's probably a nobleman uh, in the ranks of Herod. So he's probably in Herod's court. But he's in Jesus, come to my house, come to my house, my son is dying. Time is of the essence. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but time is of the essence. My son is going to die. And he says, please come and do something. 
Sir, come down from my, before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, he says, go your way. Your son lives. That's all he says. The nobleman comes to Jesus. He's expecting Jesus to do something. He's expecting Jesus to come where he's at, to walk with him, go into his house, lay hands on his son, and see his son rise. All what he's been, Jesus has been doing, going from village to village, laying hands on people, causes it. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't go to the nobleman's house. Now, he offered to go to the centurion's house, and the centurion turned him down. He doesn't even offer to go to the nobleman's house. He says, no. He says, go your way. Your son's living. What's the point? The point is, we're looking for God to do one thing. He may want to do another way. Now, here's the father. This is the father's heart. Okay. He said, go home. Go home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Okay. My son, when I walk in the door... Jesus said, my son will be healed and he'll live. I'm going to go home. I'm going to walk to the door and my son is going to live. This is what he's saying. I don't know how far, a guy, far away the guy left, but this is what he's saying all the way home. My son is going to live, Jesus. My son is going to live. He's not going to die. He's pushing every thought of death away and pushing it back and saying, my son is going to live. My son is going to live. My son is going to live. He's fighting everything that he knows within himself. Why couldn't Jesus just come? He never said that. He said, no, Jesus said his word. Remember what I said about the word back here? Uh, that the word, uh, let me read it again. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain with his own ability to perform itself. James chapter 1, verses 21 says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. The word coming forth, when we position ourselves to receive the word, to hear the word, that positioning does something not only to us, but to the circumstances around us. The boy wasn't even there. He was like the, the, the centurion servant. He wasn't even there. He wasn't even at home. I mean, he, he wasn't with Jesus. Jesus didn't see how pitiful this guy was. He didn't see how bad off this guy was. He just says, go your way. Your son is, will live. Your son will be healed. And sure enough, when the nobleman got there, he, opens it, he goes to his house, and the servant him running out and said, your son lives, your son lives, your son lives. The nobleman all the way home, the centurion all the way back to his house, carried the belief and carried the idea that Jesus put into his head, it's going to be okay, you're going to be healed. The centurion said, nope. Just as a soldier will obey me, the word will obey Jesus' command, and Jesus command him to be healed, guess what? It's going to happen. Just as Jesus said it's going to happen. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know why. All I know it's going to happen because it contains within itself the ability to carry itself out. Say it, say it a different way. Oh, that's not the only one. How many remember the Syrophoenician woman over in Mark chapter 7? She came, and Jesus kind of, I don't know, kind of snuffed at her a little bit. Says, um, yeah, he says, uh, she says, I-, I need you to come to my house. My daughter is grievously vexed to the devil, and she needs your healing. And Jesus said to her, he says, why should I take the bread? Bread is the words. Why should I take the breads of the words that are meant for these Jewish people? Uh, the firstborn, the bread of children, God's children, that's what the Jewish people were called. 
and give it to dogs. Now, it wasn't she was compare, he was comparing with the animal. That's what Jewish people refer to Gentiles as they're not the same as us, they're just dogs. Instead of getting all bent out of shape, instead of having a riot, burning down stores and busting windows, she spoke back. And she said, she says, yes, Lord, true. But even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall under the master's table. What was she saying? One woof, a breath from you, and every demon will go running, screaming out of my daughter. Only a crumb. Out of all the things you've done and all the things I've heard you've done, that one breath of word is like a crumb that would take and deliver my daughter. My daughter just needs your crumbs. She wasn't talking for herself. How did her daughter get demon-possessed? Oh, well, then we have the counseling session with the religious. Well, how'd she get that way? Well, she's probably worshiping demons. Uh, she's probably in, you know, down in the bars and nightclubs and just picked up a spirit. Maybe she's walking down to Wall Street and, and, and it jumped on her. I don't know. You know, they get those mystics down there, you know. Well, that tells me another, reminds me another story. I was down at, with Maui Square one time, and the mystic had this little table up there with the cards, you know. And I'm just walking by with the crowd, just walking by. And all of a sudden, this woman catches me, uh, catches the woman, stared at me. And she stared at me and stared at me until I walked all the way by. And she kept, she wouldn't take her eyes off of me. And my wife was there, too. I mean, we were just walking there. I, it felt like if I had turned around and said, boo, she would have jumped off into the, into the, into the harbor. <laughs> you don't realize what we carry when we carry the anointing of God upon us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. The powers of darkness can see it. <clears throat> anyway, that's, this is more to the story. I, I got to go on. So she says, for my daughter. And Jesus said this. <laughs> he, uh, Dogs, crumbs, we would have got hung up on the very things that Jesus said that way right there would have shut us right down. How dare somebody insult us? How dare a Jewish rabbi, I'm a Syrophoenician woman. I, that means I live in Syria. I'm Phoenician, but I live in Syria. Syrophoenician. And, uh, I, I don't, and I'm going to have this Jewish rabbi tell me that I'm a dog, I just don't eat the crumbs? No. She said even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus said, for this, he says, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. What happened? Jesus speaks the word. The woman receives the word. Wants just a crumb. She knows a crumb from Jesus can deliver her daughter. We're not even talking about the great power of God. She had more confidence and more faith in the power of God than probably those Jews sitting around the table. Amen? You remember the disciples' little struggle? With a man with a demoniac, they couldn't cast it out. Jesus had cast it out and said, you little faith. He said, well, how, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? He said, this one comes out by prayer and fasting. And Jesus didn't pray or fast. <laughs> well, prayer and fasting wasn't to cast out the demon. Prayer and fasting was to put us in, a, in the right position to receive the word so the word could come, come as truth. Help anybody this morning. Praise the Lord. Impossible. Everything I mentioned was impossible. <clears throat> Amen. By faith we understand Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the worlds are framed by the word of God, so that things which are see, are seen were not made of things which are visible. 
In our impossibility, we say it's impossible because it's invisible. We can't see it. Correct? That's what makes it impossible because we can't see the end. I, I can't see this happening. And you're right. You can't see it happening. But it says, it, it, says, it says, by faith we understand the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, faith precedes understanding. I'm going to say that again because this is an important point in my message. Faith precedes our understanding. Are you, ready? Are you ready for the next part? To be obedient doesn't take understanding. It takes faith. Matter of fact, if your obedience depends upon your understanding, I can just see how this church would run. Well, do this and do this and do this. Jason, Deacon Jason, do this, this, and I don't know. I don't understand why you want to do it that way. As soon as I get the understanding, I'll carry it out. Well, I don't understand this guy. Well, that's an understatement. I, I don't know if I can do this, but I don't have. A, I need an understanding of this before I do it. No, no, no. Faith precedes understanding, because with faith, obedience is per- perfected. With faith, obedience is perfected because faith, obedience doesn't need to have understanding. It needs faith. And we step out in faith in the invisible things we cannot see. Hmm, I, I can't stay there for very long. Um, it, but it does say in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Indeed, the gospel is preached unto us as well as unto them, but the word which they heard did not profit. Did not profit. In other words, it didn't, wasn't useful. It wasn't beneficial. It didn't give ad, uh, uh, advantage. And it didn't prevail. Because that's what the word prophet means. To them being mixed with faith in those that heard it. Oh, wait a minute. I have to hear the gospel, and i got to mix it with faith. And when I mix it with faith, I can advance. When I mix it with faith, I'll be, it'll be useful to me. And when I mix it with faith, it's to a benefit. When I give it to faith, I'm given an advantage. When I mix faith with a message that I just heard today, it's going to give me an advantage. It's going to cause me to prevail. Hmm. Sympathy supports the person. My closing statement, this was the second closing. I'm out of time, but I'm going to close with this statement here. Sympathy supports a person's identity being built around his problem. Compassion sees what can be and pulls it into the now. That is what Jesus did in every one of these cases. Even though the person wasn't there, he saw it was possible and pulled it with compassion. He pulled it into the now. He saw the need. He didn't worry about how clean the guy's house was. He didn't worry about the Syrophoenician woman, how she got, his daughter got demon-possessed in the first place, probably hanging around the wrong people, uh, like teenagers will do. Uh, and he didn't ask the nobleman, how did his son get this way? What happened? No, no. He said, no. He says, compassion. We need this boy healed or he'll die, life or death situation. Jesus treats the life and death situations the same way he treats the demon possessed, the same way he treats any ailment. But this boy was life or death, come quickly. Time is of the essence, he's going to die. And Jesus said he's not going to die, he's going to live. And the mouthing of those words brought life to that body that was dying, even when Jesus wasn't there. By proxy? As I think it's more to it than proxy because basically the father had the challenge. The, the, the Syrophoenician woman had the challenge. The centurion had the same challenge. I have to believe this all the way to my house. 
I have to believe this to my house. I have to believe this when I open up the doors to my house. I have to believe this when I walk into the house. I have to keep on believing. I have to wake up tomorrow morning and believe the same thing. In other words, it's not a passing phase. It's not just ministering to a need I have, God. God, don't you care about my needs? No, no. It's the compassion of God bringing, the, bringing right into the now where we live everything that supports our life. Praise the Lord. i got to stop. i got more, but i got to stop with that. Praise the Lord this morning. Amen? Hallelujah. I feel that this subject matter of the impossible really needs to be thoroughly addressed because what happens is a lot of us won't even use our faith that God has given us because we feel it's a lost cause. So what? You've invested in lost causes before, that's what you say. Try another one. Only this time, try with God and see how a lost cause is not really lost at all. Are you here? It's amazing because what happens is a mistake is we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, which Paul says is not wise. But did you know that if you were in Jesus' band of followers, is 12 referring to his, his, his disciples, that were later going to be the apostles of the church, the founding fathers of the church, uh, the church age on, and of course Paul was added later on, and so on and so forth. But do you realize out of those 12, Jesus mainly used three? Peter, James, and John. At the Mount of Transfiguration, they get the great revelation that no other man ever saw, Peter, James, and John. Sitting at the st in the storm, Peter gets up, don't you care we die? Peter, James, and John. Oh, you little faith. And the other ones kind of sit back in the corner. Was it because Jesus didn't need the other nine? Or is it because they had a different call? Stop comparing yourself with other people. It just might be a different call. And so you're not the Peter, James, or John, but you're still amongst the followers of Christ. And you still have value if it's not the same call of purpose. Because every one of those guys was used later on. Different, we read about them all through the Bible. And finally, that was enough. You know, Jesus had to show himself to Saul, which became later Paul, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Amen? Praise the Lord. He wrote a lot of those books in the New Testament while still in prison. I, I, I can't leave. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you can edit this any way you want to, but I'm going to say the last scripture. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice always in the Lord against to say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known unto God. And peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that while he was in a Roman prison. Now I feel better. Thank you. Amen? To go beyond our understanding puts us in a place of trust that supersedes our perspective. Thank you for the extra time. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, but thank you for the extra time. Amen? Praise the Lord. I wanted to give you that last little bit of revelation because it's important. It doesn't matter where you're at around you. It only matters what's happening here between you and God. Let it happen. Don't let, this, don't let your heart grip, be gripped with fear. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. I pray it was received by hearts. Father God, willing to receive your word. Help us, Father God, with the things that we need help with as far as understanding the impossible. Help the, I pray, Lord, that this word helps others understand 
uh, where our positioning is in the name of Jesus when it comes to being faced with impossible circumstances. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, for all the people listening to this message this morning on podcast, live stream, or YouTube. I thank you, Father God, that the word will go out and bless the hearts and encourage the hearts of many people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, let the humbleness and the, and the simplicity of my heart be made known through the message. I pray in the name of Jesus. Not haughty or puffed up, but Father God, of meekness, we, pre- we present the word to your people, Father God, in, with, with a, an agreement that we are in the same mode to conquer the lies of the enemy and to raise up glorious Father God with you in the name of Jesus. Everybody said...